The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. The sermon this morning is, is based on our next lesson in our series, our sermon series on the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, we're already at Acts chapter 3, and we're going to see what, what we're calling this morning the first miracle. And if you're here with us in person, you can pull out your sheets, the, the verses are right in front of you. If you're with us at home, you can pull out your Bibles, because I think the verses will disappear in a second. And we're going to look at these verses together. Oh, just an amazing thing to rejoice in the fact that that Jesus wasn't done saving his church and restoring his church and his people in this world after he rose from the dead. In fact, he continues, he continues to be involved in the, in, in the world today. And this, this lesson is proof positive of that. It's from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John we're going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, of Naz- Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly... The man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. I, I, I might be wrong about this. I hope that I'm wrong about this, but I wonder about it. When Christians read miracles and hear about them, do we suffer from what I'm going to call a miracle malaise? Like you run into a lesson like this, And you read about this lame man who all of a sudden, Peter speaks to him in Jesus' name and he he jumps up on his feet, proof positive of God's power. And you think to yourself, well, that's nice. So what? You know, you, you, you think to yourself, the last time I've heard about a miracle is when Aunt Martha found her thimble. But I have yet to see God restore someone from a chronic illness. 
I have yet to see an apostle today get somebody up from a wheelchair, say. So we read these things and we think, so what? What does that do for me today? A kind of what we're calling a miracle malaise. And that's why I think we really need this lesson this morning. This lesson that that gives to us the first miracle. Now I know, I know that that it's not really the first biblical miracle because the first miracle was creation itself. In fact, everything that we see is actually miraculous if you really think about it. And then the Bible has miracle after miracle after miracle throughout its pages. But we're calling this the first miracle because this is the first time that Jesus works through His church with miraculous power after His resurrection. This is why we're going to call it the first miracle. I mean, this is is a big, huge moment for the newborn, now miracle-working church. And so it can become for us, and I hope it does become for us, a little bit of a miracle paradigm. So that whenever we read about miracles, we can think about the things that I want to teach you here this morning. And and this morning, what I want this miracle to do for you, far from making you fall into some kind of miracle malay, I want this miracle to jump you spiritually, just like it jumped this man up on its feet. I want this miracle, and I'm praying that this miracle will jump you forward, that it will jump you upward, and that it will also jump you in two. So let's start with the jump word, jumping forward. And when I say that we're going to jump forward, we're going to jump way forward. We're going to jump, this miracle is going to jump us forward to the restoration of all things. That's what miracles always do. They're a little taste of what's coming. Peter when he explained this miracle, said the exact same thing. See, a little crowd gathered around him after this miracle was performed. And Peter said, listen, people. He said, God's going to do this for everyone. His exact words come a little bit later in the chapter. He said, God will restore everything. In fact, in fact, This is actually a big biblical teaching that runs throughout scriptures. You you can go back all the way to Isaiah chapter 35. You know what Isaiah chapter 35 says? Isaiah saw this time way off in the future. He gets jumped forward too. And he said, there's a time that's coming where then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. You remember when John the Baptist was doubting whether the messianic age had come in Jesus Christ? Jesus said, tell this to John. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed. And now here, yet again, a lame man walks. Restoration is coming. And when I say restoration is coming, I mean full and complete restoration, not just physical restoration. 
So you got to understand something about this man. And there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a Christian scholar by the name of Michel Kamba who helps to point this out about personal disabilities. This man was a disabled man. Disabilities cause not only physical suffering, but also spiritual and emotional suffering. This man, this man had lost his identity. He had totally lost his identity. I mean, think about it. We don't even know his name. He was known and identified by his disability. In fact, he was, he was so used to being anonymous and, and, and nameless that, that when Peter and John actually stopped to address him, he doesn't even look them in the eye. And so Peter has to say, look us in the eye. This is what can happen when you have a disability. I, I learned this. I learned this when I was growing up with my, my big sister, Elizabeth. Some of you know her. She has Down syndrome. And she would actually go to school with me in the same exact classroom. This happened for many years. Sometimes people would want to know how my sister was doing. And she's perfectly capable of holding a conversation. She graduated from high school. But you know who they had talked to when they wanted to find out how Elizabeth was doing? Sometimes they'd come and ask me. How do you think that makes someone with a disability feel when you just pass them over and don't know their name and talk to the person standing next to them about them? That's what happened to this man every single day. Nameless. The only thing that people knew about him is this guy's lame and he's always asking for money. But it also had spiritual implications. Did you notice that this man never got to go to church? He never got to go into church. Everybody walked by him at its prayer time and these people picked him up. They must have apparently been nice people and they leave him just outside of church and he never got to pray, at least not inside of church. He was cut off from the believers in community. And you see what God does. Do you see what God did for this man in this miracle? He restored him. He restored him physically, but also spiritually. All of a sudden, this man, probably for the very first time in his life, he's rushing into God's presence in the temple, and he's praising God. And for the first time, people are talking with him. Full and complete restoration physically, emotionally, spiritually is right around the corner for us. That's what this miracle does. It jumps us forward. You see, you see, here's the thing about miracles. We're wrong about miracles. A lot of us are wrong. We actually define miracles this way. Miracles break the laws of nature. Isn't that how maybe you are taught to think about miracles. Miracles break the laws of nature. That's not true. That, 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 it's actually the opposite. Miracles are the opposite. Miracles make creation function the way it always was supposed to. 
This is, this is a restoration project. And Jesus is giving just a little taste of it. Just a little taste of what's coming for us. Let the miracle jump you forward. I know that you get that. I get to work with Christians all over uh, Queens, Manhattan, um, the Bronx, Brooklyn, and now even Long Island. And I'm always amazed at, at the way that miracles jump Christians forward. I, sometimes I visit people and they have these chronic conditions, migraines, say, or cancer, or maybe they sit in a wheelchair. And, and I got to tell you, when I have these conversations with people, I hear people say, Pastor, I know. I'm looking forward to the day when God will fully restore me. And I'm more encouraged by them, I think, than the encouragement that I give to them. It's an amazing thing. We need to let these miracles jump us forward because God's project of, of, of full refer, uh, restoration is not done. But I also want miracles to jump you upward. Miracles need to jump us upward. Because miracles teach us about the character of God. I want you to think about miracles, not only miracles in general, but Christian miracles. Because other religions make claims about miracles as well, don't they? Buddha apparently did miracles too. I want to think specifically about Christian miracles. Christian miracles, I want to point this out, are never trivial. Christian miracles are never silly. I mean, do you find, do you find in the Bible like, like this miracle-working King Midas where everything that King Midas touches turns to gold? That would be silly, wouldn't it? It would be eagle, egotistical. It would be self-enriching, wouldn't it? Christian miracles are never like that. In fact, it's interesting if you really think about it. Peter and John here are dirt poor, aren't they? They, they, they got, literally, they weren't even lying there. They, they, maybe they checked their pocket. Let me see, let me see. I, they come up with nothing. Peter says it, silver and gold I do not have. But you know what they didn't do? They, did, they, they didn't like reach behind the beggar's ear and be like, here's a gold coin for you. They don't do, they, they didn't like create a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow for themselves in their new church. Christian miracles are never silly and they are never trivial. Doesn't that teach you about the character of God? God wants to alleviate suffering. He intends to do that. And he loves the poor. He loves the marginalized. He loves those who need full restoration, just like us. But furthermore, think about, it teaches us more about the character of God. Miracles bring those who receive the miracle upward. We're talking about jumping people upward, right? But Christian miracles have a second characteristic. They bring the miracle worker down. Peter and John, if you keep reading, they were thrown in prison for this miracle. I mean, this, this was a dangerous thing to do, to do miracle week working in the name of Jesus. That, that's, that's a paradigm for Christian miracles. 
Christian miracles bring those who receive them up and they bring the miracle worker down. Think about the greatest miracle of all, the incarnation. The incarnation brings us up to God, doesn't it? It it jumps us upward. But it brought the miracle worker down. Way down. So far down that, that the miracle made it possible that God would be scornable. And God would become pierceable. And, and God would become crucifiable. And, and God would become killable and bearable. Think about that. One theologian said that Christian miracles make the miracle worker vulnerable. And no other miracles and miracle workers are like that. That God would would make Himself into our flesh so that He could be crucified, died, and buried, and so that we would be forgiven and, and redeemed and given eternal life. I mean, think about that. It teaches us about the character of God and miracles jump us upward. This is a little bit of a side note. But for the miracle-working work, churches today and, and, and the miracle workers today, I think this ought to be a criteria for whether these miracles are valid. Does the miracle serve to enrich and give power to the miracle worker? Or does it jump them downward and put them at risk? And if it doesn't sort of dispossess them, and put them at risk and make them vulnerable, I think we should question it. I think we should question the validity about whether it's from God or not. We, we can, I'll leave that as an aside. I want to leave that as an aside, but something for you to think about. All right, so miracles, they're going to jump us forward. They're going to jump us upward. And I want also miracles to jump you, this is my last point, to jump you into, into the Christian church. You see, what, what, what Luke is showing us here is where Jesus and his power really and truly is. It's wherever the apostolic teaching is being proclaimed. It's wherever the forgiveness of sins is going out in Jesus' name. That's where Jesus' power and presence really is. In fact, miracles, far from being ashamed of them and embarrassed of them, are an accreditation of our church. This miracle is, you might say, a confirmation that what we're doing here is powerful and Jesus is in it. I mean, think about that. We are, we are doing exactly what Peter here, here, here was doing. So, so when Vicar and I say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you all your sins. There's true power in that. They really are forgiven. When somebody here at Sure Foundation is baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, 
there's power there. When, when somebody receives the body and blood of Jesus according to the way that, that this sacrament was instituted, you are receiving real presence. And Jesus is really there. And what that means is far from leaving Christian churches behind as some are promoting to do today, what, what this means is that we need to get involved in a Christian church like that. We need to get jump into it because that's where Jesus is. Now, some of this is going to mean different things for, for different people here today. It, if you are already a member of this church, this means that you're going to want to participate in your church regularly. So you're going to want to hear the Word and, and receive the sacrament. For some of you, it's going to mean if you're not a member of a church yet and you're here today, you found your church. Get involved. Become a member. Receive the sacrament. Get baptized because Jesus is in it. Let miracles jump you forward, upward, and also into. We started today with a kind of miracle malaise. It's, it's really easy, I think. It's really easy for us to read a miracle and say with a little grunt, that was nice, so what? But I hope now, at least, when you get to a miracle and you're reading, that you'll be able to say, wow, God doesn't make all new things. <laughs> he makes all things new. And I can't wait for that. And I hope it, it also jumps you upward and you say, God, it confounds me. Why would you come down and suffer for me to jump me up to your Father? I don't know why you do that, but I'm sure thankful for it. And, and I hope that it also says to you, I want to get involved in my church. I want to be a member of our church because that's where I know Jesus is. Amen.